Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Let me invite you to go ahead and open your Bible or your Bible app to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12. And as you're turning there, I want to welcome you, uh, Bible Center family. Welcome back to church. Welcome to you who are joining us online or on TV. It's so great to have you with us. Uh, If you're new to Bible Center, I'm Matt, one of the pastors here. I would love to meet you uh, and love to get to know you. We want to connect you to this church, uh, but more importantly, we want to connect you to Jesus Christ. And so thank you for being a part uh, of today's service. If you haven't yet downloaded the app, I want to encourage you to do that. You can get it at our app store or at the app store, uh, wherever you get your apps. We have uh, hundreds of hours of core class content, about five years worth of sermons. But my favorite part about the app right now is the notes feature. Our staff has been working extra hard uh, to provide sermon notes for you that go beyond just uh, three points in a poem. So you'll actually find a lot of verses in there that we don't have time to cover uh, in a service us like this today, but I trust that the notes will give you more to study as you go deeper in your faith throughout the week. Today, I want to tell you about one of the most offensive things that Jesus ever said. One of the most offensive things that Jesus ever said. It was irritating to his audience 2,000 years ago, and it is still repugnant to our culture today. You see, Jesus had experienced a busy day in ministry on this particular occasion. He had taught the scriptures. He had debated with the hypocrites. He had had healed a man that had a disabled arm. He had healed a man who was deaf and blind. And he was tired, just like any adult would be after a full day's work. But the crowds wouldn't leave him alone. And we find in Matthew 12 that he tried to get away to get some rest and and they continued to follow him. And so he turns around and you can just picture him in a scene like this, teaching some more about what his father wanted the people to know. Well, in the middle of teaching the people, his mother and his brother show up to the scene and they want to talk to Jesus. Now, the scriptures don't tell us exactly what they wanted. It doesn't tell us this was the reason that they were looking for Jesus. But the text says in Matthew 12 that they had sent a message through the crowd, through somebody, up to Jesus to get his attention. Now, my imagination kind of goes, turns a little bit. Maybe he, he was wanted at home to help with the carpentry project. Most scholars believe that by the time he was an adult, his father, his stepfather, Joseph, had already passed away. And so Jesus, being the oldest child, was probably needed to help with some projects around the house. I don't know what they wanted, but I like to picture them passing the note to Peter. Now, the Bible doesn't say they passed the note to Peter, but Peter was one of the most vocal. And so just imagine with me, if you will, they pass the note to Peter and Peter sneaks up behind Jesus trying to get his attention and starts pulling on his robe a little bit. But that doesn't get his attention. Jesus just continues to teach. And so Peter decides to be a little bit more obvious and he begins to tap Jesus on the shoulder. But Jesus just ignores Peter He continues to teach. And then in my imagination, I picture Peter doing what many of our children and grandchildren do when you're in a public place and you're supposed to be quiet, like in church, but they think they're whispering, but they're really not. And I picture him leaning over to Jesus saying, Jesus, 
Jesus, your mom and brothers are here. And Jesus finally stops. And in Matthew chapter 12, in verse 48, he says this, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here my mother and here my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This would have been heavily offensive to the Hebrew culture for many reasons. That culture still, those dear friends still value family and and blood relatives. And so for Jesus just to ignore his blood relatives would have been offensive to them. We don't know this for sure. We know Mary was a deeply spiritual woman who knew exactly who Jesus was and knew exactly why Jesus had come. But, but you know, she's human too. And so you can just picture Mary, maybe she was hurt that Jesus has ignored her. Now, if Jesus's brothers were like most brothers, by the way, Jesus did have multiple brothers and at least two sisters, according to the Bible, But you can just picture Jesus's brothers getting a little bit agitated. You know, probably wanted to punch him. Here they were, they had walked their mother maybe for miles to come and find Jesus. And now that they find him, he's just gonna ignore him. You can just picture one of them wanting to come in there. But you know, what Jesus says was not only repulsive to them, but in many ways, it's offensive to us in our culture where we live and where our church is located and our part of the world, family is still a a really big deal. And so for Jesus to say that whoever does the will of my father, they are my brother, they are my sisters, they are my mother, is a little bit offensive to us. Now, obviously, as the Bible unfolds, God isn't telling us to be purposely hurtful to our father, to our mother, to our children, to our spouse. We're gonna learn later on this fall or later on this spring that that God wants us to to know and more and sacrifice for our spouses and sacrifice for our children and sacrifice for one another. So God isn't telling us not to love our blood relatives, but he is telling us this. He is encouraging us to expand our circle of love to include more than our blood relatives. He is redefining who our own really are. Jesus was reminding us that God has always been calling a people to himself, a people of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation. And today we call this people the church, the family of God. And so I've got one main point today. This one main point I want to communicate is this. Here's today's big idea. The church is not something you go to. It's a family you belong to. The church is not something you go to. It's a family you belong to. The New Testament is filled with family language describing the church. For instance, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, we're called to love one another with brotherly affection. In 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, Paul urges us to treat older men in the church like fathers and older women in the church like mothers and younger men like brothers and younger women like sisters. The picture of the early church in the book of Acts 
this new church 2,000 years ago, the picture in Acts chapter two is of a people who are eating together and praying together and sharing their resources to help one another. I remember I was 20 years old right before I got married. I had just turned 20. And I was on a, a three-week mission trip to Sao Paulo, Brazil with some guys from college. It was the Christian version of a bachelor party. And, and we went down there to share the gospel and help with a, a church planning project. And I remember in the church we spent that month, there was a family who was in need. And, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. One of the families, the father of that family, after church, went around to another father in the church who was evidently a little more well-off. He had work. And he told his, the other father that he needed money to buy his family groceries. And so being the, the kind of the, the, the spy that I am, I followed them down to the market and I watched the one father pay for a whole load of groceries for this other family who was in need. There seemed to be no shame. There seemed to be no pomp and circumstance. It was just one member of the family helping another member in the family. The church is not something you go to. It's a family you belong to. This week, I spent some time thinking about the ways that the church is a lot like a family. And so what I wanna do in the next few minutes is share those ways with you. I believe this message will help you if you're a long-time believer. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, I'm convinced today's message will help you because I too have been following Jesus for a number of years uh, since I was a kid. But it seems like the longer that we follow Jesus, the more individualistic we become, or at least it's tempting to become. The longer we follow Jesus, at least for me, the temptation is there for, for people to want to serve me instead of me wanting to serve others. And so, so we have to fight that no matter how long we've been following Jesus. If you're a new Christian, I believe today's message will help you. I pray that it will remind you that being part of the church is being a part of something glorious. It's part of being something supernatural, something eternal. If you're a seeker and you're, you've not yet crossed the line of faith, but you've been thinking about it and you've been exploring Christianity and have been exploring spirituality, my prayer is that today's message helps you cross the line of faith and that you will see that God is not only calling you into forgiveness and, and salvation, but he's calling you into a people. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody today and you're this close from just leaving the church altogether. You've seen someone hurt someone else or you've heard a rumor about something that someone did to hurt someone else and you are so close to leaving the church. I wanna encourage you, please hear my message and please give me the chance by the grace of God to convince you otherwise. And so today I wanna give you five ways the church is like a family. Number one, the church is like a family in that we're joined together by something greater than our personal preferences or life circumstances. We're joined together by something greater. Think about it. We did not get to choose our blood family. 
Sarah and I, we have two daughters and one son. Our daughters, who are now almost 18 and 15, they didn't get to choose their blood family. They were born into our family. Even though we adopted our son, Caden, in many ways, he didn't choose us, but we chose him. We adopted him. And in our files, we have the adoption decree and the birth certificate and the social security information and his new name and his new address and insurance cards and all those things. You see, our blood families are joined together by something greater than personal preferences or life circumstances. And in the same way, the church of Jesus Christ is, is held together by something greater than personal preferences or life circumstances. We are held together by the gospel. The gospel is this good news. It's the good news that God created all things. But even though sin broke all things and we can see it in the news and we can see it in our communities and we can see it in our own hearts and we can see it in our families, even though sin broke all things, Jesus came to save all things. The good news of the gospel is that Christ died for your sins. You don't have to pay for your sins yourself. You don't have to do anything to try to earn the favor of God. The good news of the gospel is that Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He died and buried. He rose again and he offers you salvation. That's the good news. Thankfully, he not only saves you, but Jesus can transform you. And one day God wants to restore you in a new heaven and in a new earth. If God can create this world, he can certainly renew this world. That's the message. That's the truth that binds our hearts together. Ephesians chapter four, verses four through six says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The big question in the early church is the same big question we have today. Here's the question. How can the church hold together when Christians are so different from one another? There was much division in the first century church over all sorts of things, but specifically we find in the New Testament, particularly they were fighting over what they ate, what they drank, and what holidays they celebrated. And when we read the New Testament, God's solution was not to do this. God never told them, okay, then you need to be in different churches based on your preferences. God didn't say you need to have a church for the carnivores over here and the vegetarians over here and those who enjoy wine over here and the teetotalers in a church over here and the Jews over here and the Gentiles over here. You see, that would have been much easier as a pastor, I can guarantee it, it would have been much easier of a congregation to pastor, but that's not the recommendation that God gave. Instead, over and over again, we find this in Romans 14 and 15. We find it in Ephesians 4. We find it in Ephesians 2. We find it in Romans 8. Over and over again, they were called to build their unity around clearly revealed, objective gospel truth. 
You see, the only way early Christians could overcome their differences was to focus on the core truth of the faith. And the only way that we will be able to overcome our differences, even in 20 and 21, is to focus on the core truths of the faith. I am so thankful for the unity our church has experienced more specifically in the last year maybe even more specifically in the last six months. I'm so thankful for that unity. And here's why I believe we're experiencing it. Because we have been focusing for almost the last six months as we revise our member statement of faith, we've been focusing on the core doctrines of the faith. We've been focusing on the great truths of the Bible, the great truths of the Trinity, the great truths of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit and of creation and of angels and demons and humanity and the fall and effects of sin and salvation. For when we focus on these things, it helps us to major on the majors instead of majoring on the minors. So we're joined together by something greater than our personal preferences or life circumstances. How else is the church like family? Number two, the church is like family in that we have our own traditions and celebrations that are passed down from generation to generation. We have our own traditions and celebrations that keep being passed down from generation to generation. Think about the traditions and celebrations you have in your own family, your own immediate family, or even your extended family. Think about those traditions. I was thinking this week about our Christmas traditions in particular. My wife, Sarah, loves Christmas, loves Christmas. And so I joke with her all the time that, you know, honey, it's Labor Day. It's time to start decorating for Christmas. I think she would if, if we didn't give her such a hard time. But right after Thanksgiving, we start decorating. And there's a certain night somewhere right around Thanksgiving that we are required to decorate the tree. And so the children, I send them texts this year and told them, you be on your best behavior. Mom is really looking forward to this. And so we decorate the tree together and, and we do it for her. We do it for one another. And then on Christmas Eve, our tradition is to come to our services here at Bible Center, to come to, our family comes to one of the services. And then afterwards we go and we enjoy Christmas with Sarah's mom's side of the family, Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas day, we get up and we kind of do our own thing at our house and usually make some kind of a small breakfast. And then we go to my parents' house for lunch, Christmas lunch. My sister, if she's in from Pennsylvania, she joins us with her family. And then for dinner on Christmas, we usually go and enjoy that with Sarah's dad's side of the family. So we kind of have these set traditions. It took us a few years to get those together, but that's what we do. And we usually conclude Christmas Day almost every year by watching a movie. We never really got together and said, okay, we're gonna end Christmas Day by watching a movie. We're gonna make a tradition. It just kind of happened. And so we have our own traditions and celebrations that are passed down from generation to generation. And, and the same way the family of God, the church, has its own traditions and celebrations that have been passed down from generation to generation. Here's some of those traditions that the church has and the church has done for 2,000 years. We've come together for worship. We baptize believers 
We had a baptism here last night, a private baptism. I'm gonna be speaking on baptism uh, actually next weekend. And so we'll be telling you all about a baptism opportunity that we have for three or four days at the end of February. You wanna get in on that. The church has been taking communion. We're gonna start taking communion weekly as a church on February 11th and February 14th. The church reads the Bible together. They show hospitality. They give to the mission. They give their resources. We sing. We we pray for national and community leaders. We preach and teach the word of God. And so if you're a Jesus follower, I want to encourage you, you are a part of something ancient, but yet you are part of something that will never grow old. How is the church like a family? Well, we have our own traditions and celebrations that are passed down from generation to generation. Number three, how is the church like a family? Well, we don't always get along, but that doesn't stop us from having each other's backs. We don't always get along, but that doesn't stop us from having each other's backs. Even in the best of families, there's conflict. I want to show you a picture of, of our two oldest, our two girls, our two oldest children. Uh, again, this is years ago, but I love this picture. And if you look at this picture, it looks like two cute, quiet, loving little girls who would never fight or fuss. But if you have children or grandchildren, you know that looks can be deceiving. Because our daughters, when they were small, and even at times as they're older, they, they can fight like cats and dogs. But one thing I love about it is as they've, as they've grown older, if they might fight with one another, but if somebody messes with one or the other, then you have to deal with both. And to me, that's a beautiful picture of the church. And another picture I wanted to show you is a picture of Caden. This is on his adoption day back in August with his two older sisters. And, and I remember back like last November when we were praying about welcoming Caden into our home, we had a family meeting with our daughters and one of the girls, they asked a question. It was new. And so it took some time to settle in. And one of them asked this question. They said, if we adopt a, a brother, can we fight, like, fight with him like we would any other brother? Now, that might sound like a bad question. Like, who would ask that? But for us, it was actually a beautiful question because essentially what she was asking was this. Can he be my real brother or is he going to be a fake brother? And that's the way the church is. Even in the best of families, people fight. People argue. But brothers and sisters don't always get along, but we always have one another's backs. Do you know that somebody sitting near you today or somebody who you have sat near in the past may sharply disagree with you on some things? Even in this church, there are people who are a part of this church who probably sharply disagree with you on some things. They may have a different opinion about COVID-19 than you do. They may have a different opinion about masks than you do. They may have a different opinion about vaccinations than you do. They may have a different opinion about sending their kids back to school in person than you do. They may actually belong to a different political party and still be a member of this church. 
You say, pastor, didn't you screen them before they came? Well, there, there are people who are a part of this church who have a different philosophy on drinking or not drinking wine than you do. There are people who maybe have experienced a different form of baptism than you do. There are people in this church who have a different view on the age of the earth than you do. People who have a different view on Calvinism and Arminianism than you do. People who believe differently about dispensations or dispensationalism than you do. There's people who have a different view than you on what the little horn represents in the book of Revelation. You say, not in our church. I can guarantee it, we would disagree with everybody given enough time. But I love what Matthew 5, 9 says. This verse is still in the Bible. No matter who the president is, no matter what the world situation is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. May the Lord help us in our church and in our community not to be conflict makers, but to be peacemakers as much as we can be. May the stumbling block be the gospel. And may it not be our attitudes or our jumping to conclusions or our believing rumors or our spreading gossip or our spreading lies. We're like a family in that we don't always get along, but that doesn't stop us from having each other's backs. How is the church like a family? Number four, I like this one. We get fed constantly, whether we're hungry or not. We get fed constantly, whether we're hungry or not. When I was, I have a picture actually of my plate when I was at my grandma's house as a kid. Let me show you that picture. This is a picture of my plate at my grandma's house. Of course, actually, that's not a picture of my, my real plate. I found that on some kind of stock image. But it did remind me today of, of being at my grandma's house. Both of my grandmas are in heaven. But they would say over and over again, and maybe you had a grandma like this, they would say, you need to eat more because you need to put meat on those bones. You know, I had biology class. I knew that's not how it worked. I was like, if I eat that, that's not gonna put meat on anything. But, but in most healthy American families, thankful, I'm thankful for grandmas. In most healthy American families, and I realize there are some who, who need us to help them. But in a healthy family, you are fed constantly. And that's the way God has designed the church. And that's our desire here at Bible Center. We wanna do all we can to provide you with the food you need to grow spiritually. There's a number of different ways that you can do that, but we seek to provide weekly services, both in person, on campus, online, and on TV. We seek to provide weekly sermons uh, with extensive notes on the app and on the website. We've provided hundreds of hours of things like core class content and messages. We have a diverse menu of groups that you can be a part of and different Bible study groups and book study groups. We have kids instruction online. I just spent some time watching Pastor Steve today and was so thankful for the what our kids are getting through Pastor Steve and, and Miss Jane. We have Celebrate Recovery and spiritual care and counseling and books and study materials. So like a family, 
Our desire is for you always to have something to eat. And so it reminded me again that the church is so much like a family where we can be fed constantly, whether we're hungry or not. Number five, and lastly, how is the church like a family? Number five, and lastly, we actively commit to one another's well-being through thick and thin. We actively commit to one another's well-being through thick and thin. I want to just take a second and, and talk about this idea of commit. It's an active work. It's something that we choose to do. We actively commit to one another's well-being. I want to encourage you today, if you're not yet a member of Bible Center, can I encourage you to, to sign up for our membership night? Our membership night's going to be on February 12th. It's going to run from about 6.30 to 9. You say, where is it going to be? It's going to be in your living room via Zoom. And we look forward to the day when we can actually have these again in person, but we also realize that for many, and we never really thought about it before until the pandemic, for many, Zoom might be the better option. You say, what's it about? Well, it's a sneak peek behind the curtain at our core beliefs, discipleship mission, gospel vision, strategic plan, core values, staff team, and ministry practices. Our desire is to answer your questions and allow you to, to ask more. And if time doesn't allow, allow you to, to help you know where you can find the answers as questions arise. Pastor Mike and Michelle Thompson will be, Pastor Mike Graham and Michelle Thompson will be leading our membership night. You'll see their faces first and, and they'll give you all sorts of information. You'll know the ins and outs of Bible Center and, and how you can get involved. And we wanna help you make the decision about whether or not the Lord would have you be a member or not. At the end of the night, we're not gonna put you on the spot and make you feel awkwardly uncomfortable about joining, but it's something you can pray about after the membership night. If that would interest you, I wanna encourage you, whether you're local or even if you're part of our online congregation, would you sign up? You can do that on the app. You can do that on the website. Uh, you can just reach out, call the church that way. We would love to sign you up for membership night. But in short, church membership is more than attendance. It's a formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's commitment to oversee a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's commitment to live out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. In other words, a church family commits to helping a Christian with his or her Jesus journey, and that individual Christian then commits to faithfully worship with, belong to, give to, and serve within that local church. I like to describe church membership with this picture. To me, this sums up church membership. Church membership is a handshake. Church membership is a handshake. A handshake in such a way that if there's ever a time that the church member is starting to drift from Jesus, then the church can, can, can grab their hand and help pull them back closer to Jesus, can be there to help. 
If a person is just struggling with life and feeling as though the pain and suffering of life are too much, the church can be there to care and rally around and love and support that Christian. But the same is true with the church member. The, the church member is, church is made up of members. And so if the church were to ever get away from God's word or ever to preach or teach something that's not clearly revealed in God's word, the church member then can help the church stay on target. Even if you're not, a, not sure if you wanna be a member here, I wanna encourage you to join a local church. Join a local church, even if it's not this particular church. Commit to that church. Join that church. Plant deep roots in that church and be committed to helping them and others as they are committed to helping you. If you want to know more about church membership, if you're wanting to study this and and think through this, I want to encourage you to check out the Bible study on church membership that I have on our notes in the app or on website. It's there on our sermon notes. Sarah and I became members of Bible Center back in 2007. We wanted to be a part of this congregation I was part of, a, of another ministry. I, at that time, I wasn't a pastor of a local church. But we fell in love with this congregation. And I remember bringing our two baby girls to this church. I remember one of them trying to put them in the nursery and her kicking the nursery worker. And that nursery worker then now, most recently, had become my, my assistant here at the church. But when we dove into this church, there were people who, who shared with us what this church believed, what this church's mission was all about. I had no idea, one, that I would ever be the lead pastor here, let alone any kind of pastor here at this church. But we fell in love with this body, and this body fell in love with us. This body's been with us to help us through good times, to help us through bad times. And I want the same for you. You say, Matt, why are you making such a big deal about church membership? Well, the reason is simple. It's simply this. The church is not something you go to. It's a family you belong to. I invite you to join us on this journey, growing in Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.